joined by Buck Rising, host on 104.5 The Zone, based in Nashville, reporter for A to Z Sports, and host of the 615 Sessions podcast. Buck, how you doing? I'm doing great. I hope you are as well, Jack. I appreciate you having me on this afternoon. Yes. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about how Buck got started in the sports industry. We're going to talk a little bit of Tennessee Titans, and we're just going to talk some sports in general. So I guess we'll start off with how did you get your start in the sports media industry? Can you walk us through your story? Uh, sure. Uh, it's not a very exciting one, I'm afraid, but I uh, I was not planning on doing this for a living. <laughs> I, uh, both my parents worked in politics and government, and I was going to go to law school, but enough of my friends were giving me a hard time about the way that I sounded, because I've sounded like this since I was 15 or whatever. So I ended up getting asked to do student radio at IU when I was in college. Um, ended up getting a job down in Nashville for the ESPN radio affiliate, just kind of off a, uh, off a flyer. I worked midnight to 6 a.m. for about a year and a half at the radio station. And then uh, in, within, the first, within the first probably six months, realized we didn't have anybody covering the Tennessee Titans. And this was at the previous radio station that I worked at, uh, not the one that I host for now, but uh, just had an opening for me to be able to go to practice. I was working overnights and going to practice during the day and being very sleep deprived, but it was a good time and it ended up working out quite well. Wow. So you would work, I mean, literally at all hours of the night. That's crazy. Were there any were there any tips that you learned on like how to how to stay up that late? I I didn't like coffee before and now I can't live without it. So it's uh it's just just it cha- it totally changes your entire your entire life basically having to keep those kind of hours and and learn to you know be a little bit sleep deprived to be honest with you but. Uh, It's something that most people have to do, those kind of jobs when you start out, because this is a a very popular profession, as you can imagine. And it takes uh, it takes some people who are willing to last and do the stuff that nobody else wants to do at the start. So just kind of having a little bit of that mindset that you're just going to have to gut it out and uh, and continue to work on your craft. I started a podcast while I was doing the overnight shift. It was not something the station wanted me to do, but I wanted to be on air and I wanted to find a way to get reps and they weren't putting me on air. So I just ended up having to start that in the middle of the night and it ended up working out because it's now what the 615 sessions is. It's something that I'm very proud of because it, um, you know, not to, not to sound like a jerk, but it's won a couple awards now here locally in Nashville, which, um, point of pride for me seeing that that's kind of how I got my start now on top with the radio show the streaming show that I do every night for A to Z sports and uh, and getting to cover the NFL every day would you say that hosting a radio show is a very different experience from hosting a podcast um it definitely it definitely is a uh, is a different format obviously because in a podcast you know I can have a, a conversation as long as I want with whomever you know is willing to give me their time that particular day whereas radio show you're operating within a time limit you have segments you have commercial breaks commercial breaks on the podcast too but those are something that's that can be inserted by the producer after the fact so you definitely have to be more efficient it's more 
news based than the podcast where the podcast is more i mean the podcast can be news based but you're more talking about like one event that happened during that week that lasts a little bit longer whereas the radio show is driven um by the news cycle that particular day and you have to stay closer to what just happened within a 24-hour news cycle so um all of it is all of it is is helpful to kind of do if you're starting out because just the best way to to learn how to do these things and is to get out there find a way to get reps one way or another and, and that can be difficult to do under itself you have to have, you have to find somebody who's willing to let you get those reps um, but they both they both can help you be better at the other um, and the streaming show is uh, is a different monster entirely because there's just me on a camera uh live on the internet for 45 minutes to an hour every night and i have to do the commercial breaks myself so it's a different pace um and a different style you have to be a little bit more attention deficit disorder basically to kind of keep up on that but it all works uh with one another and it really can help you improve across the board mm -hmm. so you said you said that you weren't originally planning on going into the sports media business when you were when you were coming out of college. So was this sort of a learn on the fly thing? Did you have to learn a lot of the skills that you need for the business like while you were on the job? Uh, very much so. Um, frankly, Jack, I had to learn a, a lot about sports because I did not grow up in a, in a house that really valued sports at all my my mom didn't have time for it my stepdad you know uh, kind of interested but not something that we did uh not something that we would consume on a regular basis so i basically teach myself about the nfl um given that that was the opening that was the job that i was going to be able to have my first crack at which doesn't happen for everybody a lot of people have to do like high school sports and then college sports and then before you get a job covering the pros, but for me, it was all kind of thrown at me really quickly. In professional football, I come from Indiana, so all I cared about, my favorite sport was basketball. That's really all that I watched. Um, so I had to kind of learn about the NFL while trying to learn the broadcasting skills, um, consuming as much as humanly possible to kind of sample different people's styles that I liked and, and find ways to find ways to make it your own without trying to do, you know, a bad impression of somebody else. So it was all really, I don't mean to diminish my, my college education because I was a political science major. I didn't go to school for, for broadcasting for sports, uh, for sports media or, or journalism really. So I, I got a great education at IU. I just didn't end up using much of it. It was all kind of, real world experience what i got once i got out into uh into the uh into the labor force that's crazy so you weren't even you weren't even a huge football fan and then you just get thrown into the fire right away covering football that's that's wild so was there a single person or experience that you had when you were just starting out that you kind of take with you today and you and you really learned from certainly um the, the first time that they let me in the locker room they absolutely shouldn't have because I was completely unqualified to be in there and around much more senior reporters. And I was terrified of the athletes because I'd never covered an, a, a locker room really at all, much less a professional football locker room where everybody's giant and scary at first. Um, but I had a, it was about three days into me going to practice and open locker room. 
um, when the punter here, Brett Kern, he's, uh, he's been here forever. He's, he's the longest tenured player on the roster at this point. Incredibly decent guy. Just kind of came up to me and was like, hey, man, do you need somebody to talk to? You look a little bit lost. And that was great because it allowed me to kind of let my guard down a little bit to get comfortable communicating with, with an athlete of that scale. Um, you know, people kind of diminish punters from time to time, but obviously it takes, it takes one person just kind of reaching out and, and opening the door for you a little bit, if you've never done it before, to kind of give you that opportunity, like we're talking about, just to simply get reps talking to a dude at a locker before they're, when they're in a rush or they're trying to get ready for practice and you have to be very pointed with your questions and they don't want to waste, you know, they're not trying to waste their time. You're not trying to waste their time. It can be a, it can be a little bit like speed dating. So just kind of, kind of um, that first, that for those first couple of days of kind of, you know, getting to know guys in a way that was conversational as opposed to, hey man, let me ask you three questions about how you screwed up on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to, you have to learn how to talk to them in a way that they don't hate <laughs> is I guess the best way to say it. Is that tough to sort of foster relationships with players so that, you know, after they do make a mistake or have a really bad game, you can, you know, you can ask them questions and they won't just put their guard up and give the generic answers. Yeah, it's critical. I mean, you know, that's, that's how you, that's how you really, if you're going to be, if you're going to be any good at it, you have to be able to have those lines of communications with the, the players, the coaches, um, you know, you develop sources around the facility just by being there and, and becoming familiar and, and understanding that you're going to talk to, uh, you're going to give people the opportunity to tell their side of an issue or a play or whatever may come up before you formulate your opinion. And then, you know, like I have a three hour radio show, I'm probably going to talk a lot about the Titans because we live in the South. It's all football. All people care about is football for the most part. Um, so you spend a lot of time, especially on the Tennessee Titans here. And it's a, it's a solo show that I do. So I got a lot of opportunities to screw up if I'm not careful and buttoned up on, on the information based on who I'm talking to and the opinions that I'm having to formulate. And given that I work for their radio flagship, like where my, my radio station carries the games, they're the Tennessee Titans partner. So it's I know people in the building or listening. So it does take, it does take some time. Uh, certainly I probably, I probably wasn't really good at it until at least two years in, and it's still a work in progress because there's new guys in the locker room every year. And those are relationships that you have to start over and guys that you used to talk to get jettisoned uh, very quickly because the NFL does not wait for anyone, especially if you're on an expensive contract that a team thinks they can do better without. So it's, it's constantly evolving. And sometimes, honestly, you know, you get dudes who don't want to work with you and you still have to find a way to do your job around that. Um, and it can be uncomfortable, certainly, because, you know, as we said, they, they are not, uh, this is a different media at environment um, where the athletes have their own platform. They don't need us like they did maybe 15, 20 years ago to be able to get their story out, to be able to get their message out. They all have bigger platforms than most of us at this point. So you have to find a creative way to help them tell their story in a way that they think can still be useful, to be honest with you. So you would say that your radio show is 99% Titans? 
Um, I wouldn't say 99%. It's probably, uh, but it's, it, it is a good percentage. Um, I would probably say, you know, if we had to put numbers on it, uh, 75% Titans, maybe less than that in the college football season because the Tennessee Volunteers are, are a massive fan base. They've been around for far longer than the NFL. People are much more passionate about college football, uh, to be honest with you, than in the NFL, we have a we have a, uh, an NHL team here, the Nashville Predators. They're in the playoffs, so really, you wait until playoff time to talk about that. So it's it's eh, we'll, we'll say seventy percent Titans and thirty percent everything else. Is that tough? Not originally being from Nashville to you know go to Nashville and have to do a radio show on Tennessee sports and only Tennessee sports. Is that tough to kind of transplant your fandom? I guess it helps that you know you weren't that big an NFL fan to begin with, but to just transplant your fandom to a whole different city. Is that tough? Well, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a huge NFL fan. Still. I cover the league. It's, it's cool. I love to, you know, I love to get dolled up in a suit and dressed up on game day and cover the postseason and the games, because that's, you know, that's, it's show business, right? It's why we get into it. That's, that's the opportunity that all of us have. It's not just an opportunity to perform for the players, but it's also, you know, you don't want to make your, the story about yourself if you're the journalist, but you're and anymore. Journalists are asked to have opinions and you weave yourself a little bit into that story every time they play a game. So um, you, you learn to, you learn to get over it really, because I'm, I'm not a huge football fan, but I love what I do. Uh, it's not a real job, what I do for the living and uh, for a living. And, you know, to, when you say to have to, I, I just kind of, you know, it reminds me of my high school football coach, which is probably the reason why I'm not crazy about football, because he was an insane person. But, um, you know, he, he would say, you don't you don't have to have to practice, you get to practice or whatever, which I hated at the time. And I hated him for that. But, you know, I don't have to do the radio show. I get to do the radio show. That kind of stuff is you learn to find things about the stuff that you're covering that interests you. And that kind of dictates how you do your job, how you write about the teams, how you talk about them the next day after a Saturday of college football or a Sunday. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a terribly huge hockey fan, to be honest with you either. I like to go to the games. The, the, the live games are fun here in Nashville. They put on a really good show because they get all the country music singers involved and, and it's more of a production than anything. And you go, you know, um, once you're of age, you go drink, drink some beers with a couple of friends and you enjoy guys crashing into each other it's it's blood sport basically hockey and and you you find different ways to to get attached that way but like i don't know i'm i'm never going to be a titans fan i'm i'm object, objective i'm a i'm a reporter so it's not it's my job in fact is to not be a fan hockey is something that i've kind of learned to learn to talk about even if i don't like the x's and o's of the sport i still enjoy certain elements of it and the people in it so it's all about how how you kind of be creative with the way that you that you discuss the, the topics that are relevant to the people that you're talking to because the you know the radio show is not for me it's for the audience the podcast is not for me it's for the audience what i write about is not for me it's for the people reading it so um that's just kind of how, how you have to think about the way that you do your job mm -hmm. so is there you know a favorite part or just a favorite you know benefit that you get from being in the sports industry what do you what is your favorite perk of being in the sports industry uh, <laughs> that's uh 
I mean, basically free travel to cover NFL games and, and you know, be uh, be there on game day. Game day is the best. And it's it's one of the hardest things that's been um, in, in the COVID seasons because there was no reason for me to travel last year uh, to go to road games, to go to different environments, because everything that we would do after games is on Zoom. Um, the press conferences, locker room access, it's all done virtually now and still. And I'm going out to practice tomorrow, and it'll we'll be at practice. We're back. Those of us who are vaccinated don't have to wear a mask at practice, but we're still not permitted in the locker room, so we can hang out at practice with them. But then they scurry us over to card tables afterwards, and we sit outside. We do the zooms on our laptops. So, um, the to be able to go and have my travel and uh, and all these things paid for to go to different cities across the country, and and you know, fortunately, while I've been here. They've been good um, and had successful playoff runs um, that have been incredibly enjoyable to cover. And you get to meet all kinds of cool people that you have no business meeting. <laughs> um, so all of those, it's it's a really it's a really unique job. Um, and honestly, the hours and the and the days that you have to give up because you know they have practice on Thanksgiving, they have games sometimes on Christmas. Uh, they had a New Year's Eve game a couple of times while I've worked down here. So you give up a lot of your life to do it. But the the rewarding elements of it, I think, more often than not are worth it. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, you know, some of the COVID protocols. Was it really tough to cover a football team during the peak of COVID where you don't have that inside access to a locker room? Well, honestly, you know, it's – it is critical to to have had the relationships that I did prior to things, you know, our access basically being cut off during COVID because you those relationships are then how you communicate with the guys outside of the outside of the Zoom forum um, because you know the PR staff decides who you get to talk to that day. It's not open locker room. You many many times you end up writing similar stories to your cop that as your colleagues uh, because you're all in the same zoom you're all getting the same quotes and unless you have ways to create unique coverage um, like some of us are fortunate to do you're you're really it's just kind of uh, it's just kind of a what's the word that I'm looking for a lot of it is a lot of it is similar which you don't you don't want to be the, the most difficult thing in in sports media is finding different ways to do so, stuff that's been done a hundred times over by millions of different people over the history of sports media and coverage um, so yeah I, I continue to hate the zooms I I do it because it's uh, essential for them and we want to make sure that everybody's staying safe, even as people are starting to get vaccinated or and are in progress of getting vaccinated here in Tennessee. Um, but yeah, it, it changes. Now I, I will say it, may, it was a lot, it's a lot more efficient than, you know, driving to driving. And I live close to the facility, but um, you know, the saving travel time and, and being able to just do it on your laptop or on your phone, like we're doing it now. There are ways that it has made my job more efficient, but I also think it's been harder to kind of learn how to not let the uh, not let the ease of something like Zoom make you worse at your job because it does give you the opportunity to be a bit lazier, and that's not something uh, not something that you can afford if you're trying to keep up with everybody else. Mm-hmm. So let's transition now a little bit more to 
current day Tennessee sports. So, you know, with the Titans, we've heard some rumors in the past couple of days of Julio Jones. You know, he wants out of Atlanta. You know, Tennessee is a potential landing spot. Do you think that's a high percentage chance that he ends up in Tennessee? Um, there's he's got a $23 million, $23 million plus cap hit, and they have about $3 million available to them right now to spend. They could restructure Ryan Tannehill or Derek Henry or Taylor Lewan, Roger Saffold. They've got a number of high, high money or high cap hit contracts that they can, they are eligible to restructure, but then you're giving up future financial assets as well as whatever you would have to trade to get him, assuming that's going to be a fairly a reasonably high draft pick or a couple at this point. Um, there's so many hoops to jump through for them. They're, they're in the best position to get him on a winning team because, as we talked about, they've, they've had five consecutive winning seasons here. Uh, they won their division last year. They went to the AFC title game in 2019. They've got a really good core in place with Derrick Henry and, and Tannehill, A.J. Brown, who's a really promising young receiver. Their defense looks to have been mostly rebuilt because it was ghastly last year, terrible, um, and they spent a lot of money to correct that. But if you're if you're asking me Julio Jones to the Titans or the field, I'm going to say the field. It's it's mm-hmm. it's an improved chance from what it was pre-draft when we started having conversations about it down here. Um, but I still think that it is less likely to happen um, than you know Vegas odds might say that it is. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the draft, were you were you happy with the job that the Titans did? Do you think that, you know, do you think that they gave their team losing, you know, a couple of key players to free agency, such as a Dory Jackson, you know, Corey Davis? Are you happy with the job that they did to retool their team? Um, so it was not very well received here by the fans. I understood a lot of the moves that they made because it's not just about replacing top end talent for them. They they lost a lot of depth pieces, too. So you're you're drafting you know, a, a back, uh, a corner with, uh, with who has two back procedures, recent back procedures in his, in his medical history right now in the first round, Caleb Farley, who, if he's right, can be a total game changer on defense at the cornerback position, given that they didn't just lose the Dory Jackson, but they cut Malcolm Butler. Kenny Vaccaro has been here for a couple of years. They basically nuked their secondary because frankly, last year it just wasn't good enough. So, they're, they can only get better on defense because they were historically bad on things like third down conversions allowed. Um, I mean, just the worst in NFL history. So defensively, they have they have a, uh, a much higher floor to be able to work from, given how low they were last year. Offensively, you know, I think they're they're probably going to take a step back. And that happens. They lost a lot. They lost. Uh, Corey Davis, as you mentioned, John Smith got a big contract from the New England Patriots, their offensive coordinator here, who was helping them score 30 points per game, north of 30 points per game, is now the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and they're working with a lot of unknowns at the receiver position. If A.J. Brown gets hurt right now, they're probably the worst pass catching group in the league. They didn't draft a tight end, even though they lost two of them in, uh, in free agency. And there are still opportunities for them to exploit the uh, the free agent market of guys who will get cut because we're starting to work through that process now. And trades are still on the table based on what the general manager, John Robinson, talked to us about a couple of weeks ago. Teams calling him 
with interest or with they, the Titans' interest in trading for some tight ends that have high salary cap hits that teams are like the Eagles are trying to offload. Uh, I don't think it's a finished product yet based on what they did in the draft and what they have left to do before 53, uh, 53 man rosters have to be finalized. But, you know, I, it was, it was not a sexy draft, but it was functional. And I understand, I understood the practicality of it. Mm -hmm. You know, Caleb Farley is a guy who can be such an X factor for that secondary because he's, you know, a lot of risk, obviously with the injury issues, but you know, if, if it weren't for his injury issues, he could have been, you know, drafted top 10 and he's a guy who, extremely talented so if he's healthy and he plays like he's capable of he can be I mean a huge value pick for the Titans and and they did the same thing a couple of years ago with Jeffrey Simmons in 2019 he, he tore his ACL the February before the draft um he's an incredibly talented player uh, talked comparisons to Fletcher Cox and Indomitian Sue and and very very top end talented interior defensive lineman. He also had uh, something in his, uh, a, an incident in his background in high school where he was seen on video hitting a woman. It was a risk for them um, to take a chance on him. That was, you know, long before his college career, he was still in high school at the time, but that was a big reason why he fell down the draft board and they got him at 19 overall. And he has since rehabilitated, not just his knee, but his, uh, his just kind of the core of who he was as a human being in a way that I would not advocate for if I thought him to be disingenuous with uh, with how he's kind of changed himself as a person. But they they found fantastic in the NFL draft. It's often a dirty business where there are incidents like that in some of the players' backgrounds, unfortunately. And you have to be comfortable in who you're putting your neck out for if you're going to bring them into your organization and take that kind of risk that they may still be the character that you believe them not to be. So um, this is a different situation. This is because of injury and it could end up working out very, very well for them. They did kind of hedge their bets by taking another corner in the third round, who is uh, Elijah Molden out of Washington, who they think pretty highly of, who the rest of the league seems to think pretty high, highly of. So the, the pressure is not so much on Caleb Farley as a first round pick to get out on the field because they've got most of the pieces for their secondary in place. Caleb Farley was just best player available at the position mm -hmm. where they were selecting. And those guys can often uh, transcend if you, if you find really true value in them, which they think they have. Were there any picks that, you know, just generally from the first round of the NFL draft that really surprised you? Not necessarily with the Titans, but just around the NFL. Um. Just kind of cycling through some of the ones that were made in my head. Uh, I, I was not terribly, well, I guess I was surprised to see the Bears trade up to get Justin Fields. Um, they have, you know, the last time they traded up was for Mitch Trubisky, and that was a, you know, categorically failed experiment. Everybody believes Justin Fields to be a superior athlete, a superior player at the position. But, but uh, that's what desperate football organizations do sometimes when they are in win now mode and their jobs are on the line, whether you're the head coach or the general manager, you, you push or you, uh, you press a little bit to get the player that you think is going to buy you a few extra years, even if you're mortgaging future draft capital. So that I, I, I don't necessarily know that I was surprised by that. Um, I was interested in the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts at four, given that I, I do know Arthur Smith, who's the head coach there, the, the offensive coordinator, 
it's rare that you have the ability to pick that high in the draft organically without trading up um, and, and still have a franchise quarterback on the roster. Obviously, this was a first round that had many quarterbacks that were talented. And Matt Ryan is in age 36, I believe, at yeah, this point. So I would have been curious to see if they had explored the possibility quarterback and actually art came on the radio show after the draft and said that you know they believe in what matt ryan is and and uh, you know they they're smarter about football than me so i will leave that judgment to them um i can't think of any other ones that kind of shocked me off the top of my head um i did think jc horn went pretty high to the carolina panthers uh good corner talented corner and obviously they thought the dallas cowboys might come up and get him but uh, just just some guys, you know, they, there's always guys who go higher than, you know, the the media expect them to because we don't actually have access to these guys draft boards. And it's two and a half months of us talking about the same information without a whole hell of a lot changing. Um, so, you know, whether I was surprised about it, whether the rest of the league was surprised about it, two different conversations. But those are some of the ones that stood out to me. Yeah, I always find it funny how, you know, people are breaking down the draft for months beforehand and they're talking about all of the prospects and then after the draft they break it down for months and in actuality no one actually knows you know who's going to be a good nfl player until they they all step onto the field and but, really not for like three years after you, yeah you don't really know who they're going to be as a player we had a they, they had a first round draft pick here last year isaiah wilson that played four total snaps got cut uh for a variety of different um failures on his part uh and 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 not the organization not faultless in that um you you're responsible for who you end up selecting but uh you know he's already off of his second nfl team he lasted three days with the miami dolphins and uh this was somebody who had the potential to be a pro bowler at right tackle and just kind of went nuclear because something went wrong in his life and he couldn't get it together and the team either wasn't equipped to help him or didn't do the right things to help him and and he went up in flames pretty quickly so it's it's that, that's an extreme case, and I don't think we've seen a first-round pick be that bad in quite some time. But, yeah, it's the draft is probably the most, uh, the most uncertain of sciences uh, in any sport because you just you simply don't know how these guys' lives, lives are going to turn out because, you know, they're still not fully formed human beings, and, and things change very quickly. Very, uh, uh, once you're, you know, given millions of dollars and said, all right, you know, you're on your own. Yeah, and, you know, at the top of the draft, you know, there weren't too many surprises. Everybody knew that Trevor Lawrence was going one and Zach Wilson was going two for the last couple weeks. There was some talk of Justin Fields at two, but, you know, it's pretty set in stone for the past, you know, three, four weeks leading up to the draft that Zach Wilson was going to. And he's, he's a guy that interests me because, you know, everybody talks about Trevor Lawrence. What Are you high on, on Zach Wilson? Because he's a guy, you know, playing at BYU, not facing the better – you know, the best competition, but, you know, we saw it in his pro day, you know, has an, has a great arm, can make some fantastic plays. Physically talented, certainly. And, and, you know, it's kind of like, uh, like the, the trend that started in basketball after Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors kind of took over with the way that they've changed very much how basketball is played. You see a lot more people shooting from distance like Steph as opposed to driving the lane and, and getting, uh, you know, getting the easy basket or, or pulling up for, you know, mid-range jumpers or things like that. Wilson makes a lot of these Mahomes-looking throws now that Pat's been in the league for a while and people have had the opportunity to kind of study 
how he throws off platform. He's he's got some, and I I don't make this comparison, you know, completely, uh, but there are some things that remind me very much of Aaron Rodgers early in his career with just kind of the pure arm talent and accuracy that'll blow you away. Now he played played a, a, a lesser. Uh, a lesser level of competition. It's going to be a pretty big jump, and and the AFC is the AFC East rather is uh, still a very rocky division. The Bills look like they're substantially improved, and they won the division for the first time in who knows how long at this point, given how dominant the New England Patriots have been. Um, I I'm certainly intrigued by them. I think that the Jets are. Uh, it's tough to give them any credit for doing anything right yeah. when they much wrong in the last probably decade of football decade plus of football outside of the two mark mark sanchez afc championship game appearances which seem like you know the weirdest thing to say out loud anymore so uh you know Corey davis is in uh in new york with him i liked elijah moore the slot receiver out of Ole miss that they ended up picking um they've got they've got an offensive line that seems to be able to hold up in front of him at this point, and Quinnen Williams is a talented defensive player. I I don't know. I the Jets, like I said, they've done a lot wrong. So I don't know. I don't know how to give them credit until they they show that they are worthy of deserving credit. But the player himself, provided that they do not find a way to spoil uh, spoil him talent talent wise, as we see more quarterbacks ruined than we do developed. Um, I'd be curious to see how that thing kind of play, plays out because they they have they have good skill position players. Yeah, you know, just, you know, I'm originally from New York, so I listen to a lot of New York media. And, you know, the vibe around the Jets draft is pretty high. People are extremely happy with what they've been able to do in free agency and the draft this year. You know, Joe Douglas, their GM, is a guy that a lot of people respect just around the team. And, you know, Robert Sala is a guy who hopefully, you know, no one really knows because it's his first head coaching opportunity, but can be able to turn some things around. And Mekhi Becton is, you know, in otherworldly left end had a great rookie season when he was actually on the field, but, you know, we just saw it in New York with Sam Darnold, you know, a guy that coming out of the draft, everybody thought was a can't miss prospect. And then, you know, next thing you know, he's traded after his third season. So I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what Zach Wilson is going to turn into, but, you know, just around the league, are there any storylines maybe specifically in the AFC South, just maybe, generally around the league that interests you? Oh, I mean, certainly here in the AFC South, uh, Deshaun Watson, um, which is a very, very complicated situation. And one that I really, to be honest with you, struggle with just because you, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, your, your job more often than not is to have an opinion uh, with as many platforms as I'm talking on. And it's difficult to have an opinion about something that the legal system has not yet found a solution for. So, um, whether he ends up playing football this year, I think is, is very, very much on the table. They've drafted and brought in, uh, quarterbacks from all over the place. None of them very good, but clearly they are looking at contingency plans. It doesn't sound like these 22, I believe at this point, civil suits, um, of inappropriate behavior against him are coming to a solution or are going to be, are going to, they're not going to have a solution anytime soon. Uh, so well, what this looks like from a quarterback standpoint here in the AFC South, obviously, that's the Titans division. So Carson Wentz, uh, a new piece in all of this, whether he is able to rehabilitate his career, Trevor Lawrence, first overall pick, 
playing down here as well. Um, you know, the, the obvious one outside of the division would be Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> the stir that he seems to be causing across the league. Uh, I, I hate to, I hate to go to, you know, the, the most popular ones, but Tom Brady at, at age 44 heading into year 45, is he, is he still capable of sustaining? I find him to be fascinating. And the Titans are going to have joint training camp practices down in Tampa Bay. So I'll get to see him uh, work again, which was one of the cooler things, given that Mike Vrabel's the head coach here. They're, they're buddies. They played on, they played on uh, the early Patriots Super Bowl teams together. And so they've come here for joint training camp practices. Uh, Tennessee and, and the media corps will head down there this summer as well. So we'll have the opportunity to kind of, you know, see the greatest of all time at, at, at his craft. But outside of that, yeah, the Sean Watson is, is probably the most interesting, maybe not the most interesting storyline now with, with Rogers, but he's certainly top two at this point. And I don't think anybody has an answer for it right now. You know, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, you know, obviously there's been so much talk made about him wanting out of Green Bay. Do, do you think when the season starts, he will be on the Packers roster? Yeah. Um, he's. It's kind of like the Julio Jones situation. You know, it's it's all good and well if you want to be traded, but he, the players so rarely and so few opportunities have leverage. And uh, Aaron Rodgers on the contract, and he's expensive, and it's going to cost a lot to go get him uh, for any team. And the Packers can still say no to all of that. So. They don't sound like they're budging. Um, he doesn't really, you know, he's being diplomatic publicly and, and how he's uh, handling things behind the scenes has been reported on as being less diplomatic, but I, he's too good to let go if you're Green Bay. And I think that, I think that there's, there's too much working against him. It's kind of like Julio Jones to the Titans. There are too many reasons that it won't happen to say that it will. Uh, but you know, we've seen, we've seen pretty, uh, seismic moves in the NFL before when, when nobody expects them, it's just, unless something changes right now, I don't see how, how they let the MVP of the league just walk. Yeah. And, you know, you've covered obviously Derek Henry, who is a freak of nature athlete. He, is he the most impressive athlete you've ever seen in person? Oh, wow. Um, Probably, uh, I've Cam Newton and the and the Carolina Panthers were here for training camp a couple of years ago. Cam physically is one of the most just shocking human beings I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he's he's him and Derek Henry are are these kind of you know we're not the same species. They're extraterrestrials uh, to a degree. Certainly physically, Derek and and Cam are up there. Uh, trying to think it's probably Derek he's he just and and the, and the how spectacular he is, is is honestly pretty recent uh because he was you know he's losing snaps to DeMarco Murray when he first got here um even after DeMarco was gone it took him a minute to kind of figure out how best to utilize his otherworldly physical gifts uh, but since then, you know, he's, I kind of, I have to kind of take a step back and, and, and not take him for granted, I think, because he is, he does such ridiculous or he has, he performs at such a ridiculous level 
on a weekly basis at this point since he kind of you know found his footing for lack of a better term and then I think that was the second half of the 2019 season here and that he ended up you know physically carrying them to the AFC title game so uh yeah uh, it's Derek Derek's probably the most impressive athlete I've ever covered mm-hmm. well Buck you know we thank you for coming on you know Talked a little bit about the Titans, talked a little bit about how you got into the industry. So, you know, I just wanted to thank you for coming on to the show. Hey, anytime, buddy. You uh, you got my number, uh, and I appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. You're much better at this than me when I was starting out. So uh, continue to uh, continue to improve, and uh, and I'll certainly be watching. Okay.